morning. I'm Laura Ellsworth, and happy to welcome you to Prairie Doc Radio Program. This week, neither Dr. Holm nor Joan Hogan are in town, so I am filling in for Joan as today's host for Prairie Doc Radio. For about a year now, I have been helping with fundraising efforts for the Healing Words Foundation, which is the nonprofit organization that supports this radio program, on-call television on SDPB, and other efforts to provide honest, science-based medical information. It's an honor for me today to serve in this role, and I'm excited to have Dr. Deb Johnston, a family medicine physician, with the Avera Medical Group Brookings in the studio with us. Good morning, Dr. Johnston. Good morning. It's great to be here with you, Laura. I'm very excited about this morning. Excellent. Excellent. Well, today's show, we're going to be discussing lung disease and breathing issues, and we would be happy to discuss any medical issues or questions that you may have. So as always, please feel free to give us a call at 692-1430. One four three zero. Uh, we did have one question called in already this morning before we got started. So I think we'll start with that question right and now. It's, it's not about lung disease, but that's okay. We're just kind of starting with lung disease because that's what the TV show is going to be about tomorrow night. Yes. So this is kind of a good introduction, but please call in with any questions you have and I'll do my best to, uh, to answer them. Excellent. So this caller, a 62-year-old male, called in wondering what are the symptoms of gallbladder disease and with that, what are treatment options? Uh, gallbladder disease makes people really miserable. Um, classically, the symptoms of gallbladder disease is pain kind of right under those right-sided ribs. Sometimes it'll radiate into the back underneath that uh, that. Uh, wing bone or in the middle of your back. Um, It might be pain kind of in the middle of the pit of your stomach there, right beneath your breastbone. And sometimes it can be kind of sneaky, especially in women. A lot of women get their gallbladder taken out before we figure out, uh uh-oh, it's really your heart. So sometimes people will have kind of a, a pain in their epic, what we call the epigastrum, that pit of the stomach. Sometimes they can have some heartburn sensation. Sometimes they can have diarrhea or bloating. Um, Usually people are pretty uncomfortable when they have a gallbladder attack. And gallbladder attacks are often set off by eating fatty foods. So if you start noticing that you just don't feel good, your stomach's upset, your stomach hurts uh, after you have fried chicken or pizza, it might be your gallbladder. So what we do to try to figure this out, the first step is usually an ultrasound in people who have classic symptoms. And a lot of times we'll see little stones that have formed in that uh, in that gallbladder. Interestingly, only about 10% of gallstones can be seen on an x-ray. So if you had an x-ray and it didn't show those gallstones, that doesn't mean that, that you don't have them. If we don't see the stones or the kind of thickening of the gallbladder on the ultrasound, our next step, if we're really suspicious this is still gallbladder problems, is to do a test we call a HIDA scan. And this is a test where uh, we inject some medicine and we watch and see how well that gallbladder squeezes and how much of the digestive juices that it holds get squeezed out. 
So once we've established that you have gallbladder disease, some people can do okay with a a very low-fat diet. And I always tell people, your gallbladder doesn't care if it's a good fat or a bad fat. So it just cares if it's fat. Uh, Olive oil and avocado are as likely to provoke a symptom and an attack as fried chicken and pizza are. So um, some people can do really well with that real low-fat diet, and other people end up getting their gallbladder out. There are some medications that can sometimes help to dissolve gallstones, but they are rarely used, usually only in people who for some reason are really, really poor surgical candidates, and even then they're not terribly effective. So um, I hope this poor gentleman is feeling better if it was his gallbladder, and um, I'd encourage him to go in and get it checked out and get it taken care of. Mm-hmm. Is that something that's pretty urgent if you are feeling some symptoms that you need to get in right away? or Not necessarily. If you have an attack and it doesn't get better, that is something that needs to be checked out because sometimes that stone gets kind of wedged and lodged in and then it can get inflamed and it can get infected and then that really is a surgical emergency and and you need to get it dealt with sooner rather than later or you can get extremely extremely ill um most of the time though that that stone gets kind of lodged and then the gallbladder relaxes and it falls back down and the the attack goes away and people can live like that for years Mm -hmm. Um, they just have a lot of attacks and have a lot of time that they're miserable Mm, unfortunate okay all right well thank you for that great information Um, It's time for us to take a break, and following these words from Avera Medical Group Brookings, Dr. Johnston and I will be happy to discuss the medical issues of interest to you. During our break, feel free to give us a call at 692-1430. During today's show, we plan to discuss lung disease and breathing issues. Dr. Johnston, could we begin by having you give us a brief overview of lung disease? You know, lung disease is, is such a diverse group of diseases. So, um, you know, everybody from the time your children thinks about asthma as a lung disease, and that's probably the most common one that we see when you, when we're young. And that's a condition where uh, the muscle walls that surround those air tubes are kind of over-responsive. And most of us will if it gets cold enough and you go outside, you might cough a little bit or you might wheeze and your chest might feel tight. Um, I can make most people wheeze if I irritate their lungs enough. But people with asthma, those airways are just very, very finicky. They're very twitchy. They're very touchy. And a lot of things will make them cramp and make the person wheeze and feel short of breath and cough. Um, Emphysema is another type, and that is something that uh, tends to happen in response to lung damage, often smoking, but not always smoking. And what happens in emphysema is that all those little bubbles in the air, the in the lung, the alveoli that fill up with air and, and let us exchange oxygen and carbon dioxide and those things, um, those bubbles start 
deteriorating and breaking open and instead of having all kinds of little bubbles in the lungs you start getting bigger pockets so you can think of the lung in a certain sense like a sponge and all those little tiny pockets that hold the water in a sponge hold air in your lungs and if those pockets get too big then it can't hold as much it can't expand and shrink as much so that's another type um, and then we have uh, chronic bronchitis where the lungs will start making all kinds of mucus and and gunk and that plugs up those airways um, sometimes there's conditions where the the wall of those little air sacs gets thick it's supposed to be just a couple of cells thick so that air and carbon dioxide and oxygen and everything can pass from one side to the other but sometimes it just gets too thick and then it has a hard time accomplishing that air exchange so those are some of the more common types but there's certainly all kinds of different lung disease out there that can affect people um, and if anybody has questions about any of them, I'm happy to try to tackle if you've got something in particular, alpha-1 antitrypsin deficiency, cystic fibrosis. Um, sometimes there's conditions where the problem's not actually the lungs, but the muscles are too weak and they can't expand that lung and, and pull it open. So there's lots of different things that can affect our lungs. Mm -hmm. So if there's a specific um, topic you want us to talk about more, um, give us a call at 692-1430. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about some of the symptoms you might experience if you're having kind of a lung issue and when it's um, time to go in and get that checked? Sure. Probably the thing that people notice most is shortness of breath, but sometimes that can kind of sneak up on them and it just kind of becomes their new normal and they may not necessarily realize that they're feeling so short of breath. People may have trouble where they can't do the things they used to do. They try climbing up the stairs and, and they're short of breath at the top of the stairs or they used to be able to run up three flights and now, now they have more trouble. It can be tricky because heart disease can do the same thing. So sometimes we have some detective work to do to tease out one from the other. Cough is a very common complaint with any kind of lung problems. Once again, there's a lot of things that can make you cough, including heartburn, mm -hmm. reflux problems where that acid splashes up. It can irritate and, and cause people to cough. Um, asthma often presents with just a chronic cough. Sometimes it's a dry cough. Usually with asthma, it's a dry cough. Other kinds of lung diseases can make you cough up gunk. And it doesn't matter if it's green or yellow or clear most of the time. What does matter is blood. Anybody who's coughing up blood definitely needs to get seen. Uh, some people will wheeze, and that's what they notice. They make this little singy sound when they breathe, kind of a <laughs> sort of thing. And uh, parents often notice that before the kids do. So there's lots of things that we need to do then to kind of figure out what's going on and how best to address it. But those are some of the basic symptoms. Okay. And so if we are experiencing some of those symptoms and we, and we go see our physician, what type of tests are done or how do you kind of diagnose, figure out what, which type of lung which, issue yes. you're having? So probably the single 
most important thing and the first thing that we do is is talk to the person and listen to the person both their story and do an exam listen to their lungs look for other contributing factors um, and depending on what we find or what we don't find the person um, might have a chest x-ray done uh, they might get some particular breathing tests where they'll kind of breathe into a machine that measures how quickly they can uh, get air in and out of their lungs and how much air they can move in and out of their lungs. Um, we might look at their oxygen level. Depending on what we're suspicious for or what we're worried about, they might get a CAT scan, although that's far less common than those other tests. They might have a special version of those breathing tests where we actually look to see um, how well the gases get across those little membranes in the lungs. Um, they might have a test where we actually try to irritate their lungs and make their lungs wheeze. So there's a bunch of different uh, things that we might do, but the fundamentals are those breathing tests, the basic breathing tests, um, and maybe an x-ray, and most importantly, just talking to the person and listening to their lungs, hearing their story. Mm -hmm. So it can can be kind of an experience going into the doctor sure. for those things. There's a lot to rule out and a lot to consider. That's exactly yeah. right. There's an mm -hmm. awful lot that we need to consider. Let's say somebody comes in with a cough. Cough is very, very common. And one of the most common things, if the cough is relatively new, is that you had a cold and your lungs just haven't recovered. 30% of people will still be coughing two weeks after a respiratory infection. And it's not uncommon to cough for up to three months. Mm. So by the end of two months, you may not remember that you had that cold in the first place. Chronic sinus problems can cause a chronic cough. Some of my medications, specifically a class of blood pressure medications, medications called the ACE inhibitors, things like lisinopril, uh, are kind of notorious for making people cough. We talked a little bit earlier about that reflux problem mm -hmm. that can make people cough. Allergies can make people cough. And of course, lung disease can cause coughs. Okay. All right. Thank you. We need to take a break. And following these words from Avera Medical Group Brookings, Dr. Johnston and I will be happy to discuss any other questions you might have. Give us a call at 692-1430. Well, we did have one call come in um, asking specifically to talk a little bit more about asthma and emphysema and what um, what the differences are between those. Okay. So one of the fundamental differences is that emphysema is kind of a disease of damage. So people with emphysema have lungs that have been damaged at some point. Uh, again, smoking is the single biggest contributing factor to that. Uh, so Quitting smoking is probably one of the biggest and best things you can do for your health if you're a smoker. Um, asthma is more of a disease that is kind of what we call internal, intrinsic. Um, so it is something that is caused uh, often by an overaggressive immune system that makes the body... Um, 
just kind of on high alert more often. So a lot of times the treatments overlap. Um, we'll often use a steroid inhaler for people. Um, a lot of times there's a spectrum where people with asthma may over time develop emphysema. People with emphysema may have a little bit of overreactivity of their airways too. So sometimes it's a little challenging to say this person has this because there there's a little bit of a spectrum involved. So some people, certainly children, usually have pure asthma. Um, if you're 70 years old, you may have a touch of asthma and mostly emphysema. So um, it is uh, sometimes hard to tell the difference between them. Um, we have a condition we call COPD, or chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, uh, that a lot of older individuals have, and that includes emphysema, and it includes that chronic bronchitis, and it includes kind of a grown-up version of asthma that, that is more a reaction to lung damage than um, to your own immune system being overly active. Gotcha. And so. Okay. Um, what are some things we can do? You mentioned if you're smoking, um, stop smoking. <laughs> what are yes. some other things, uh, or if you want to touch on that more, what are some things that we can do the, to help prevent lung disease? To prevent lung disease, there's uh, two main things you can do. Um, number one, choose the right parents. Uh, this, so <laughs> particularly for people with asthma and allergies, there's a very, very strong genetic tendency towards that. And quitting smoking is another other major, major factor. There's some contribution to lung disease for air pollutants, particularly asthma. We look at, um, you know, in the in the 70s when I was growing up, uh, there was a lot of concern about air pollution and the effect that that had on children's lungs. And certainly we see in adults that those that have um, worked around a lot of lung irritants are more likely to have problems with their lungs or certain chemicals. So the biggest thing you can do though, the biggest thing that's within your control is smoking. And that is certainly a very, very difficult thing. Quitting smoking is, is not at all easy. There's a lot of help out there for you. Um, but the number one thing that that helps you quit smoking is deciding that you want to quit smoking and um, that's a really really big part of it mm -hmm. so once we know that somebody has some kind of lung disease are we have a few fundamental um, things that we can do to help people with their lungs. Um, most of them are delivered by inhaled medications. Uh, one of the major categories is kind of a hydrocortisone cream for your lungs is how I often describe it to people. So these are inhalers that contain a, a steroid, not a steroid like bodybuilders use, but a steroid like the hydrocortisone cream and you inhale those and that soothes the lungs, calms down that uh, irritation and people with asthma, it tends to make those airways far less twitchy and irritable in people with other lung disease it calms down the inflammation and the damage being done uh, there's a medications a class of medication we call the beta agonists and these are things like albuterol and a lot of people have had the experience of going to the doctor when they're sick and getting an inhaler uh, for their wheezing or their cough and that's almost always that albuterol inhaler um, and that 
relaxes those muscles that are twitching. Uh, it doesn't keep them from being so twitchy, but when they're twitchy, it helps them relax. Uh, so one of the things with those medicines, and I'm always very concerned about how much of those people are using, is that the more you use them, the less they work. So if you have asthma and you're using your inhaler a lot, your rescue inhaler, you need to go in and talk with your doctor about medications to help you need them less. Mm -hmm. The other main class of medications, inhaled medications that we use, are medications that cause the lungs to kind of make less gunk. So those aren't used as often, but they're, they're still a important tool in our toolbox. Controlling people's allergies are an important step. So there may be allergy medicines that you're getting, uh, and there may be medications um, to help with your chronic sinus problems like the, the nasal steroids like Flonase that you can get over the counter now. Mm -hmm. Very good. Um, as we're thinking some more about some of the risks that help that might contribute to lung disease. I know there's been a push lately about radon and having your home tested for radon and such as well. Have you heard much about that or seen? Um, you know, I think, I don't want to say that radon's not important, um, but it, it is a relatively minor contributor for most people. Sure. Um, so we, we, it always kind of um, makes me, roll my eyes a little bit when people come in and they're so concerned about radon and they've got their cigarettes in their pockets. Sure. Um, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of things that we can do to mitigate radon. Uh, it's something that tends to accumulate uh, underground in certain areas. So um, less ventilated spaces have have less of an issue upstairs as opposed to downstairs and the basement has less of an issue. Um, but I think that if you're really worried about radon, you better be sure you're not smoking before you spend sure. a lot of time worried about radon. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, around here, we also have a, you know, a lot of farmers. Um, mm -hmm. We talked a little bit um, about um, farmers individuals working and in elevators, yep. yes, working yep. with livestock. I grew up on a hog farm. Um, when I'd sure. be out helping my dad, we would wear a mask when we'd be out with the yep. hogs. Do you, do you see that that makes a difference? Do you recommend that? What Do you, do you have any thoughts I, on that? You know, I think... Um, it makes good sense to, to wear a mask when you're out there, but the mask is only going to prevent the smaller particles uh, from getting into your airways. I'm sorry, the larger particles and the smaller ones are uh, still going to be um, a little bit of an issue. I don't worry too much about people that are kids that are out there. Um, I worry more about the older individuals who have that much longer exposure and longer exposure to grain and chemical dusts. Um, I think most people are uh, going to get themselves out of that hog confinement building before it becomes too much of an issue for them. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it, it makes sense. We, we do have issues with farm chemicals that people use that they spray on the fields, not even so much for their lungs, but just for their health in general. A lot of the, particularly the pesticides and the herbicide, mostly the pesticides that we use are pretty powerful toxins. So we need to be very careful about exposure to those things. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, it's time for us to take another break. And if you have any other um, items you'd like to discuss with Dr. Johnston and I, please give us a call at 692-1430. 
All right, welcome back to the Prairie Doc Radio Program. I'm Laura Ellsworth, filling in today for our host, John Ho- Joan Hogan. And joining me today in the studio is Dr. Deb Johnston, and we've been covering a variety of um, lung disease issues and ways to kind of prevent that and treat that. So um, thank you for listening today, and thank you for calling in with your questions. We had another call come in um, from an individual who has a lung issue, but she says, why do I have no problem? when doing water aerobics. Before we get to that, there is one thing I want to go back and talk a little bit about when we were talking about farmers. And uh, one of the things that we worry about with people that come into contact with with dirt and particularly animals is certain infectious problems like histoplasmosis, uh, which can cause scarring in the lungs. And and I've known a fair number of people who've had histoplasmosis in their eye, actually. Uh, and that has caused some problems with scarring in the back of their eye. Um, but histoplasmosis in the lung can cause scarring that uh, can be mistaken for lung cancer or other tuberculosis or other kinds of things. So um, that's another thing I just wanted to add. So uh, as far as um, water aerobics goes, I I don't know what kind of lung issue this particular person has. Um, There's some things that are more and less likely to aggravate people, particularly with asthma. One of the things that we recognize is a condition called exercise-induced asthma, which is somebody who starts wheezing when they're active. Um, when We'll see this with kids that play sports especially, but it certainly doesn't go away just because you're not a kid anymore. Uh, Extreme cold tends to make people with asthma wheeze more. Activity tends to make people with asthma wheeze more. Extremes of humidity tend to make people with asthma wheeze more. Um, the other thing that I, if I were talking to this person uh, in my exam room that I'd be trying to tease out is, is there also an element of heart disease? So if this is a person who finds that, uh, you know, if they climb upstairs, they have more problems being winded, but when they're in their water, they don't have as much trouble being winded. Um, You know, when you're in the water, a lot of your weight is supported and you have kind of a smooth, consistent resistance that you're dealing with. And this is part of the reason that we really recommend water activities to people with arthritis because it tends to be much easier on the joints, but it gives you a good um, a good workout mm-hmm. uh, in terms of getting those muscles moving. Uh, but you're not supporting your body weight, so sometimes it's not... Um, it's it's not as much in terms of like calorie burning and weight loss and there's there's a lot of complex things that happen in the water i would speculate that um this lady is maybe less sensitive to humidity than she is to certain other things uh or i guess i'm assuming this is a a lady it could be a gentleman uh so that's that would be my guess without knowing a little bit more of the story. Mm-hmm. Okay, very good. Well, we've been talking a lot about um, lung disease and um, ways to prevent it and um, treatment options and when to go in and get that checked out. Um, 
I, we want to touch also, we had a question about what are we currently seeing regarding influenza? And does it make sense to still go get a flu shot? Absolutely, it makes sense to still get the flu shot. In fact, uh, if people come into my office and have the flu, I do a test and I say, okay, you have influenza A or you have influenza B. I try really hard to talk them into getting that flu shot. Maybe not right at that moment when they're running fevers and everything, but the f- current flu shot, the one that most people have gotten this season, covers four different strains of influenza. And you can get all of those strains of influenza in the same season. You can get strains that aren't covered in the flu shot. The flu shot, the flu shot every year is a little disappointing compared to other vaccines where we get really good coverage against whatever disease we're, we're aiming at. Uh, one of the problems we have with the flu shot is that we're trying to guess every year what strains are we going to see and which are the most common strains that we're going to see. And every year, multiple strains circulate. And some years we guess really well and some years we don't guess very well. One of the challenges this year is that the... Uh, strain that's one of the most common strains, the shot has a harder time getting your immune system to respond to it. We're seeing it in Brookings. Go get your shots. All right. Great advice, Dr. Johnston. Thank you. So we'll still go out and get those shots. Well, we hope you've enjoyed our Prairie Doc radio program and we'll listen again for Prairie Doc brought to you by the Avera Medical Group Brookings. As always, you can hear and see more from the Prairie Doc online at prairiedot.org. Dr. Johnston, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Laura. We've learned a lot. It was an honor to be in here with you today, um, serving for, for the both of us to That's serve right. as, for Dr. Holm today and for Joan Hogan. Um, and I hope they're having fun. Yes, we do. Thank you for listening. <laughs>